everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. We are delighted to have Dr. Courtney Jones from Florida Atlantic University today. He is the professor of trumpet and the artistic director of jazz and chamber ensembles. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having um, me. Tell us how you started. Of course, it was in Georgia because we all love Georgia people and where you are now. Uh, well, I'm originally from upstate New York, Rochester, New York. Um, mm -hmm. And my dad, uh, we all moved down. My mom retired. We all moved down to Georgia where, you know, they continually to reside. And then after doing my secondary and collegiate school there, I left there, graduated from Columbus State University, went on to Shenandoah Conservatory and finished my doctorate at UCLA. Nice. And after that, um, after UCLA, I mean, we can get more into that, you know, um, but, you know, I did a lot of film intelligence recording as a, as a soloist, as well as, uh, well, my, my goal at UCLA while finishing my doctorate was to finish my doctorate, right? Um, it wasn't to be in the industry, but preparation crossing path with opportunity and having mentors either directly or indirectly to help prepare you for life. And um, when one thing led to another, and then I got into the film and television industry, I was on Glee for two seasons. I recorded for Hallmark, Rihanna, Boy George, Culture Club, um, Ty Dollar Sign. And this is uh, a mixture of things where playing in tune will allow you to have options, right? And understanding what the stuff that your applied professors, you know, work with you with, you know, learning you know, what we do in our repertoire of classical uh, trumpet, because my, my area is contemporary classical, but also understanding that music is just not one thing. And because, um, you know, as, as Michael knows, I'm an old school teacher with a new school field, because you have to understand, in order to know where you're going, you got to know where you came from, where, where you are, know where you came from, so you have an idea of where to go. And utilizing traditional methods with contemporary ideologies allows performers, which my area is, to, to do what we do. And to do it well, right? Because we don't have to do this. We get to do this, right? Um, and so, again, knowing that you either feel the beat on one and three or two and four, or this bebop or Beethoven, music is music, you know? And so after that, before um, I finished my doctorate, I was ABD, moved to Asia for two years. Uh, I was this music director, assistant music director and horn arranger for the Venetian uh, Sands LTD. And at the same time, I was also performing in the Macau Orchestra. Um, where I learned to speak Cantonese versus Mandarin. Um, and so, and I speak about seven languages. Uh, music is, language for me is like music, you know, and you don't have to be fluent in the language, but if you know a little bit of the prefix and the syntax of what's going on, you can navigate your way to ultimately being able to perform or not, well, I'm saying perform, which actually that's what you're supposed to do, but to be able to speak the language. <laughs> so came back, finished, uh, taught adjunct at UCLA and got my job at University of Iowa. Then my alma mater, Columbus State, um, after my visiting uh, position, and then got this position here at FAU. And I've been here for going on six years now. Oh, easy. Yeah, no, I can, any, that's, <laughs> just say it so matter of factly, like, yeah, that just all happened. That's, um, it's very inspiring. It's, it's super inspiring to hear like from where you came to, to the full journey you've done. And you only mentioned a very small amount of all the different accolades and projects that you have been involved with over the years, which is what I'm super interested in. Sure. Um, 
you, I mean, you have, you're a performer, you're an educator, you are, you are involved a lot in community arts from what I know of you. How, when you were first starting out, what was your end game? What, when you were, you know, even in undergrad, what were you thinking you were wanting to do? Was it always this like diverse of a career? Were you thinking actually more something more focused? Right. Well, I mean, I'm just going to be completely direct with you. I got tired of being in these situations where I was the only one who looked like me. Ah. And, um, and, you know, coming from New York and, you know, you know, being around a multicultural ideology, right. And then moving to the South and yeah. seeing something completely different. Right. Um, and I wasn't going to do music. My minor is in business marketing and management. And, but music is something that was near and dear to me. And it was always in our house, you know, and, you know, and so you do your thing, you figure out, okay, you're actually pretty good. Okay, great. Then you're really good. And a child doesn't know that a child is different unless they've been told that they are different. And, um, and so I really didn't realize that when I was in these institutions, I was like these all states and all cities, you know, in the trumpet section, it was me who looked like me. In the ensemble, there might've been a sprinkle or two, right? And then the more advanced I got and then winning the national Trump competition and, you know, going to these other places. And it's just like, I'm only the one who's doing this. And so my end game to answer your question, Ms. Green, um, was to produce players, educators and performers who looked like me and someone that I can identify with because we have that. But in the classical idiom, we are far and few between. Mm. And, and that was very disconcerting to me. So uh, through my mentors and then people, like I said, who um, helped shape my path, you know, they gave me options. And I said, yes, if you want to get to this, this is what needs to happen. You want to get to that, you want to help change this, this is what needs to happen. And so that's what I, I did. And my goal was to ultimately teach at an HBCU because, um, you know, music transverses multitudes, cultures, languages, and all that. But in our field of classical music, we all know this too well, that there are maybe a couple or if any, you know? And so um, that's what was one of my, my end goals was to produce more players of the BIPOC ideology. Mm. And that is the black indigenous people of color, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Within this idiom, you know, where, oh, you're either a classical player or a jazz player, legit, non-legit. Like I was never that person. And I was the thorn in most people's size that was able to do both, you know? And I'm like, no, where do you feel the beat, right? <laughs> one or three or two and four. You look at what was happening in the early 20s. Yes, we have the Harlem Renaissance in New York, you know, but when you have the European classical composers who sent their scouts over to America to go to New York to see what was happening, you know, you come back and you hear Ravel's piano concerto, the second movement sounds like Bill Evans. You hear Stravinsky's, all of his music when he sent his scouts, their dances, you know, you have the data 816th rhythm, dom, dom. You know, Octet for Wins. There's a vibe here. Hell, George Gershevitz, when he was Ukrainian Jew, changed his name to Gershwin and produced the first African-American opera in America, which is what? Porgy and Bess. 
right? So you see where I'm going with this, right? And when you have a European ideology that appreciates not just what they do well, which is class European classical music, our classical music is jazz, mm -hmm. blues, mm -hmm. gospel. That is America's classical music, right? And I'm not necessarily, we have YouTube, we have books, you have your own teachers to figure out the historical context of that, you know, and I, I don't, I and would indulge that you do that if you don't know, and your listeners out there who may be watching this to mm -hmm. research all this, right? Mm -hmm. So fact that it goes back to what I said earlier, we got to know where we are in order to know where we came from to know, have an idea of where to go. So yes, that was my goal. One of a few. Speak on it. I, like I truly speak on it because we we talk about this. And because for me, I was a, a band and choir kid. So I got to have that experience of knowing music. Like I'm, you know, raised in the church, the gospel and jazz and all of these things. And I remember being in undergrad and like, our music is not appreciated here. Like you said, legit versus not legit. Or uh, I remember as a vocalist, I wanted to do spirituals on my like last recital and was told, you know, maybe that's not real music or, or substantial music that should be on this program. You know, you need to stick to these European classical musicians. And I'm like, well, no. That does not resonate the same way. It's beautiful art, of course. However, that's not who I am. And I'm just so glad that there are teachers like yourself that is like, no, no, no. We're going to learn about it all. And for all of your students to know this, because I think for such a long time, our music, Black music, has been always put underneath. It's only commercial. It is only popular music, it does not belong in this classical idiom that we have. So I'm just thankful um, that you, you know, your career, your path, your mission is to really say, no, 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 we're going to do it all. And so I really, really enjoy that. When you were going through your, um, your career on to be a teacher, I'm pretty sure you had some type of pushback um, say professors or mentors or whomever, how did you kind of come back at that if you had any? Sure. Well, you know, um, again, uh, I came through in a time where my teachers were, you know, um, phenomenal musicians and phenomenal educators. The books that we read now, you know, those were my teachers. They were Eastman. They were you know, the Royal College uh, Music, you know, uh, grads or Juilliard, you know, and they taught us the differentiation between understanding your ego and your super ego, right? It's a Freudian ideology. And because you can come in to a situation and bang a bass drum, you know, and then have a, a precedent of what someone may think of you or perceive of you, or you can allow your instrument or the, the your or your voice, whatever your instrument, the instrumental vocal or the pen to do it for you, right? Mm. And it was more of the latter versus the former. And where right now it's a little bit of the reverse. And mm. somewhere in the middle of that, this next generation is like, well, I'm entitled, I need this. Like, actually you don't, you can't even play in two, nor do you know how to play your scales, right? So have a seat. Matter of fact, there are several that you can choose from. Oh, right. Because, because the situation is, you can get the pushback, but do you cause that on yourself? Right. 
are you prepared to go into a situation or not, right? And yes, there are some pushback things that happens, but at the same time, you can avoid that if you know what you need to do. So that means you have to do your research. If you know that this is what's happening, you have to figure out, all right, let me see the the the, the temperature of the campus. Let me see the temperature of the, the school. Let me see what the rules are into a situation that I'm going to be placed in, right? Because they may not see anybody like me. And yes, I can come in and say, yes, we're going to move all this stuff and all this stuff. No, you got to go before you go into, if you're being invited into somebody's house, you got to follow their rules first. And they also have to know who you are. Because at the same time, that empowers you to help bring your agenda from a place of love and empathy, right? Versus, um, uh, uh, what's that word? Um, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm just blanking. But like entitlement, there it is, right? Because now your instrument, your voice has allowed you to say, oh, well, this person can play very well. This person can write very well. X, Y, and Z, boom, boom, boom. You're keeping quiet. You're kind of seeing, you know, what's going on. Someone say, what do you think? Well, you know, I understand this is what's going on, but how about we do this? Have you considered this? Have you considered X, Y, and Z? Or we need something. What are, are your ideas? Well, hmm. this is what I think would work. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? But more often than not, depending on the energy in which you provide to the table will allow you to discuss what can the encore be, right? Mm -hmm. What can the core, I, I do a lot of, um, uh, uh, allusions with food and music because I love the culinary arts and I'm also hungry. Um, so just FYI. But yeah, you dig what I'm saying? And sometimes when the pushback happens, you have a choice to be reactive mm -hmm. or proactive, right? Because you can react and mess yourself up or you can say, all right, cool. I got that. Now I know what I need to do because this this direction is no no longer available. So now you have to figure out how to go through that. Because as a mentor said to me, you have to be overly prepared just in case. Because when you look in the mirror, it is not always the same. And I never really understood that until I got older, right? Because it's like, oh, well, I've done this, I've X, Y, and Z, and blah, 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 but this person gets the gig, and you look at their CV or their credential or whatever, and I'm like, huh. Now, you don't want to put one way and say, this is why they got the gig, but when you add one to one and it makes two, the arithmetic works. Mm. So you have to either be reactive to that and be, oh, I'm going to be upset, I'm going to X, Y, and Z, or say, you know what, there's a reason this happened. Because I don't know your religious, uh, religious affiliation, nor do I want to know or care. But I know that sometimes when you are not invited to the table, it's because someone has stopped you from ingesting the toxic that was served. You dig what I'm saying? And so I look at that as opportunity because one of my mentors is uh, Bob Watt, who was the first African-American uh uh, musician in a major symphony orchestra. He was a French horn player, LA Phil. And I remember when I moved out to LA and you know I was in it, I was doing my thing and boom, 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 ba ba ba. And I was like, Bob, I got this this gig, blah, blah. You know, I'm getting ready to do it. I think I got it. And then I'm thinking I can get it. And I'm like, I didn't get the gig. What are you talking about? I'm doing everything and blah, 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 blah. And Bob's like, don't worry about it. What do you mean don't worry about it? This is the perfect gig. This is the gig. It's like, trust me. Don't worry about it because 
it may not be for you right now. It may look good, but it might not be good for you. You have to understand that I, and this is me paraphrasing what he's saying. You have to understand that this may not be your time right now because there's something you need to learn. And I was like, that didn't make any sense, but it makes sense. I'm like, but I really didn't, you know, and, 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 you know, and ingest it until I realized that I wasn't ready for that gift. And there was another opportunity for me that was better than that gig. And then when I realized that, that's when I realized, oh, okay. Oh, so that door closed, but this one was open. I was proactive because it allowed me to go into more creative projects. It allowed me to write a grant that allowed for me to meet this person, which met that person, right? And that was told to me by a mentor in my undergrad, right? And again, the divine sometimes relays information different ways until you are old enough to receive said information. And then I'm glad I didn't get that performance, uh, that gig, because when I realized what that gig was about, when I got the inside, oh, it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. It wouldn't have been for me. And I wouldn't have known that had I not been in this situation, right? So the pushback, it does happen, but how do you, how do you react to it? That's the thing. And then allow your voice, allow your instrument, allow the thing that you do to speak for you. So when you do have that five second opportunity, and that's all you might get, maybe. It's five seconds enough to eloquently suggest what needs to be done to rectify a certain situation. You dig? I I mean, I'm gonna, I have to plug RP for a second because the thing about us is we run our mouth <laughs> on this show very often, which is something we do. But at the same time, we're constantly talking about the things we're doing, the projects we're doing, and how we have grown so much over the years. So I, I think that's just as important as when we're having these conversations to show that it's not just about what we say, it's also by what we're doing and we're show what we're showing and especially what we're doing together and showing that the things we're talking about, we're implementing in what we're doing, whether we're still in school or whether we're, we already have uh, postings at universities, which I think is really important. And we try to show that there is that balance um, to wanting to push things ahead while also doing your own work to keep going because we I feel like most of us have a Trojan minds like Trojan horse mindset like the you get in you know you're like oh we're good get to the table and then you can flip it when you're there and you have the right and it's the right time that is when you can start making change and we've had so many amazing guests and mentors who've come on the show and has have affirmed exactly that is to be able to make change you have to get in the door first and get to the table and sometimes being at the table is not always easy actually sometimes it's probably always the worst thing to be or worst place to be is at the table right. but it's you know the sacrifices we make in hopes for better for the people who come behind us and you know our future generations and i think that's what we're all trying to do is to to create a better more just more equitable world for people coming after us um so i just wanted to affirm what i was hearing and what you were saying Sure. And and if I may, before we continue, just to pick it back on that, because, and, and this is so important, right? Energy begets energy, right? And you talk about, you know, uh, affirmations. And we talk about why these things, and we use analogies of like getting to the table or being invited. And, you know, and yes, that's good and all, but I'm going to also say this, you know, we have been given a gift. 
right? We don't have to do any of this stuff, but we get to do this, right? We have been given a gift by, again, some entity that is greater than our own understanding. Mm -hmm. And if that entity, that being, that thought, that whatever you can even imagine, and it's still remedial, right? Because you can't fathom this, created all this stuff. They also created you, right? They also allowed you to be the Florence Prices. They allowed you to be the John Williams. They allowed you to be the Miles Davises, the Wynn Marcellus's, the Langston Hughes, the Timothy Doak Schiffers, the Bud Hurstes, you know, the Nor Hurstens, right? The creators to create things. So if you can't, if you're not invited to the table, don't be upset about it. Be proactive. Build your own table. Build mm -hmm. your construct of what a table is, right? Because nine times out of 10, sometimes we have, I would say, a conceptual ideology that is, you know, um, not necessarily conducive to our overall collective. And that's with anybody, right? And then you get down to your own ways, you get your thought, analyzation turns to paralyzation, next thing you know, what was me and all this, but that's okay. Don't hold on to it, mm -hmm. feel it and let it pass through you. And utilize that that emotion to create something. Because if that entity did that, they gave you the power to create. If so facto, you're already doing that with your music. When you're playing Scrabian or the fifth movement of Mahler's Adagiato. Like right there, that anticipation before the downbeat, that, that moment of intimacy, that moment of life, of truth, that is that moment. Mm. When you're listening to Jill Scott, when she plays in D flat or E flat and goes to that hook, mm. bam. And that the head just goes at this. You didn't, you didn't want supposed to, but right there, that. So if you're able to do that without someone telling you to, to programming you to do that, then you can create the table. You can create these opportunities. And if there is an obstacle, then realize the, the path that you took to get there reverse, go around, and then make your own path. And I think more often than not, people have become complacent because they have been mediocre. And mediocrity leads to complacency. And this generation, and I don't want to sound like my, my dad or my mom or anybody else, but I've seen a shift in what it takes to earn an A versus, oh, I'm going to get an A. You can't play in tune. How do you expect to win a job when you can't transpose? How do you expect to win a job when you don't even prepare yourself to come to rehearsal, to make music, not learn your part, but to make music? And yet you want this position? My name is Paul, and that's between y'all. <laughs> right now, a lot of people have that. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody in this generation, <clears throat> but there's a lot. And COVID had a lot to do with that. But at the same time, it was, I believe, and again, agree with me or disagree with me, doesn't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. It was a blessing and a curse because you had a choice to be proactive or reactive. And a lot of people were reactive. And in this generation, those who were proactive came out of COVID like beasts. Beasts. Because... I, much like my collective, 
you know, we all, you know, I don't know if you felt this or not, but we all felt something, some sort of way for a couple months, a couple months when you have to lose, you know, a significant amount of money performing and traveling internationally and which is your career and you can't and you stop and you've not you're not able to perform and, and speak musically with the collective of like-minded individuals it does something to your psyche you go through it you don't hold on to it you let it pass through you then you realize okay i woke up this morning oh gratitude i woke up again oh gratitude I woke up again. I woke up. I woke up. And I woke up. I woke up. I woke up. Compared to the six plus million people who did not, regardless if you want to believe it or not, but you woke up, that changes you. I'm still here. I still have the ability to do something that my job isn't done yet. Now you put things into perspective. You have gratitude. You have perspective and you look around and you still are able to call your parents. I don't know if you lost some people, but I did. Call your friends, check in on them. Gratitude, perspective. You woke up the next day, the next day. Then you look around and say, okay, people who do what they need to do, whether you want to believe it or not, things will happen. But now we have a chance and an opportunity to do it better. We are not distracted. That changed me to have the opportunity to be grateful to wake up. So anything outside of that, easy. Now, in our profession, when we're able to do this again next to each other, gratitude, the perspective, so we can focus on how to do it better this time. And those are the people that were proactive. I was one of them. My colleagues are some of them. And some people say, well, Doc, you know, people don't have the means to do the work and blah, blah. Work is relevant. I wasn't talking about a job. I'm talking about work on yourself. Mm. Work on your mental. Work on your emotional. Work on your physical. Then if you want to work on that, figure out how to work on that. You have mm -hmm. a computer. A lot of people did. TikTok famous. Instagram famous. Dancing all day. You have your instrument. Oh, I'm in music education. Let me see what schools need arrangements. Let me put some creative things together. Now you're turning the, 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 the creative juices, right? You're tapping into that ether. So then when you come out of it, oh, you deserve an A? Cool. Cool. Well, I didn't get this gig. I wonder why. I didn't such and such. I went. Oh, did you? When did you wait to submit your CV? Oh, like three days before. But how long you've known about it? Four months. Hmm. So your contemporaries are the ones that are winning now. Now, people then got back into work slowly, surely, you know, once we were able to congregate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But understand that those six to nine to 10 months, when what we get to do maybe once, a year of a week or two weeks, and then going back into the swing of things, to do that 24 hours a day for nine months to a year, whoo, that's scary, right? Proactive versus reactive. And so I say all this as an awning, I know it's kind of long, but this is who I am. When we are not invited to the table, create it. There is no excuse now. 
We woke up this morning. We woke up this morning. And you worried about X, Y, and Z, or you worried about such as that, and you're trying to revert what you were doing and the lifestyle that you had pre-COVID? We got time for that. Things change. We have gratitude. We have perspective. And we get, don't have to. We get to do this and teach this next generation to fix the mess that my generation did, my parents' generation did, their parents' generation did. Not everything is perfect. Because practice makes what? Perfect. Incorrect. Dismantle that belief right now. Mm. Practice makes improvements. Mm. And the same thing when we do with an ensemble. You go through the process, you may fail, but you learn something to be successful, to learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. To now create that opportunity. If you can't get to that table, create it. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first discovered you um, on Instagram and it was just three words that was true in our lesson. It's true. Like now it's true for you is stay in it. Dr. Jones like to use this, um, this phrase, just little, just stay in it. And it's just anything practicing. I, I was preparing for a competition when I first uh, talked to Dr. Jones um, after seeing him, seeing him with a gateway brass collective, which we'll bring up in a little bit at Midwest, but did a lesson and I was like, I was like, okay, about a month and a half out. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling it. And he was like, there's still more. There's still, we haven't gotten into the music. Have you, have you, I was like, yeah, I practice with the piano part. He's like, have you looked at the piano part? Have you tried to play the piano part? It was just all this different stuff. And I was like, there's an extra level I've yet to see. And it's just like, the, just to stay in it. And it's like what you just said and why Anthony kind of laughed is like, I deserve that A. I literally had a student say that to me this past semester. And that's why I was like, okay, you know what? Because I walked into the studio. It wasn't mine. I got it a month before school started. I said, okay, what do I need to do? I need to fill it with my people. I need to fill it with the people who want to do the work. Who, when they get an A, it inspires them to get an A plus the next week. Not come with C minus behavior, C minus preparation, C minus attitude, and say, I think I get an A. You can't play Kark study in E flat. You get an A? What? And this is, yeah. So, and that is just like, that stay in it. I didn't understand until I took the lesson. And I'm still comprehending it as I like watch you do your thing on Instagram, which is phenomenal, by the way. Everybody should go follow his Instagram. It's just, it's just nice. It's just like, just the intense intensity of performing you do even when you practice is what attracted me to like follow you so much. It's like when you're in the practice room, you're doing your flow studies, you're doing all this stuff. It's like, you're intensely performing and intensely making music. Even though some people are like in the practice room. Okay. I'm going to rein that in. Cause I need to do this. Why? So it's just like all that. That was, yeah. Gateway brass collective though. Yes. I want you to speak about that a little bit because y'all do great work. You sound great. It's a great quintet. So how did all that start and how did you get into that? So, um, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. So Gateways is a construct of the Gateways Music Festival, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple years ago, and this is how things are full circle. Again, so I'm from Rochester, New York, originally. And uh, I get an uh, email uh, that they're all having these auditions for this this orchestra of 
all BIPOC musicians. And these are, you know, doctors and, you know, performers, international, national, and educators and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Because, you know, I, um, I was like, well, I, I, I'll love to check it out. So I submitted my thing and um, I get in, right? I meet the people X, Y, and Z. And one of the individuals that's in this section, the trumpet section, I'm looking at him and my, my body is responding a certain way. Like, I know you, like, why do I know you? Okay, so I'm gonna put a pause right there. Go back to my mentor, Bob Watt. So Bob, I, you know, I, you know, and access ability to people who paved the way for us, right? Where some, you know, it's like, you know, don't have the access, right? And that's nothing against them. It's just, you just don't have the access, right? So um, I was helping him move from his condo um, in downtown to his house. And because uh, anytime, you know, I would leave UCLA or if I had a gig downtown, I'd be like, hey, Bob, I'm here. Let's go get some some Korean barbecue, right? Or, hey, man, uh, I mean, because I had a lip injury. I was subbing for Yens and I soloed with the uh, the marching band. And trumpet player, I was a hothead. I hit the note. I hit the note. I held it maybe five seconds too long. Um, and then I had a gig that night. I had a lip injury. All right. My lip was like, look. You cool, but we need to not play sweet chair tonight. Mm -hmm. I did it anyway. Uh -oh. Um, so anyway, I had a little bit of rain and like, hey Bob, can we talk for a second? Dude, I'm finishing rehearsal coming up. Like accessibility, right? So I'm helping to move and I see this poster. Okay. And I'm like, Bob, oh, I know this is you, but what is this? What is this? Oh, that's the new brass quintet. Brass quintet. Now, mind you, I'm in my doctor. Like, I'm like 27, 28, something like that. You know? I'm like, this is a black brass quintet. It's like, how long we are? Oh, this was when we were happening in the 80s. And he shows me a video. You know, they were together for like five or six years, traveling all over the world. And I'm sitting here, grown man, tearing up. Tear, like crying, right? Because I've never seen this. I grew up listening to ABQ. You know, New York City, uh, New York Brass Quintet, you know, Rhythm and Brass, St. Louis Brass, Canadian Brass, right? I have all those records, you know? I have posters in, of Ray Mace, who was one of my favorite uh, players, you know? Um, you know, that I was able to, you know, meet and have a lesson with, you know, outside of Winton, but that's a different story. But, um, but uh, and I'm like, what the crap? And I'm watching these guys my age on tour in... Uh, Hilsenki at the Hilsenki Brass Festival or something like that. And I'm looking at Bob, got the afro. I'm looking at the, you know, other guys, you know, these cats. And the trumpet player, Lenny Williams, was the same guy that I saw in the trumpet section. So now we're back to the story. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking and I'm like, excuse me, are you Lenny? Yes, but the Lenny with the new breath, like, how do you know about it? And I'm like, and I just bust out crying, like crying. And I tell them the story, we all, yeah, oh yeah, Bob, oh, blah, blah. Because as a grown man who's already in the field, which goes back to our original conversation of representation matters, 
to see something like that. And I'm crying. Imagine if I was in fifth grade. Mm. Imagine if I was in kindergarten. It's like, oh, you look like my daddy. I'm not. I could be. Am I? No, I'm good. Uh, who your mama? Your mama? Oh, yeah, we good. You know, but you get what I'm saying. The impact of that. So here we are at the Gateways Music Festival. We're talking. I'm talking to the principal trumpet, Herb Smith, who teaches and third uh, third trumpet in the Rochester Philharmonic and uh, Rochester Institute of Technology. You know, the principal trombone at the time, Israel Butler. You know, we're talking. And then it's like, all right, let's get something together. So Israel and I were talking. This is when I was still with Yamaha and uh when i was with yamaha solos and so uh we met up at the hbcu consortium and he introduced me to the people of con summer and blah blah i'm not going to tell you what the story was but let's just say that we were talking and this is the idea of what um the the brass collective came up with and then obviously i am now con summer bach artist um and we just got together and then our goal is to be that group that shows representation. We're all principal players. We're all orchestral players. And we also play jazz. Our iteration, our horn player was the, he's, he's on Broadway right now. Eric Davis, Dr. Davis, you know, playing Funny Girl, I believe. You know, now we have Dr. Larry Williams, you know, uh, we had Richard White, Dr. Antoine, who was the first tuba instructor to get his DM from University of uh, Indiana, Jacob School of Music. Uh, Israel Butler, Dr. Butler, who uh, is the chair at Valdosta State and the lead bone in um, Count Basie Orchestra. Actually, I just saw him last night with the Cap Calloway Orchestra. And he also did things on Broadway. You know, right now we have Dr. Jerome Stover, uh, who is our tuba professor who teaches at Sam Houston State. Uh, Solace as well. And then my man, Herb Smith, right? Who, like I said, RPO and who does his uh, stuff as well as his, his jazz. And then obviously there's me, you know, but who am I, right? But that's how we got together. And over the years, we just got better and better to go back into the community to showcase, yes, you can do classical, you can do jazz, you can do experimental. You can do this. Oh, is Dr. Jones playing piano right now during the set? I am. Yes. And did he write this? Yes, I did. Because this is my area of expertise. It's called music. You just don't play the trumpet. You have to learn how to notate. You have to know how to transcribe. And in the process of that, you also might get good at what your teachers have been teaching you to do. There's a reason why you go to skills one, skills two, piano one, piano two, notation, harmonic and rhythmic dictation. This is why we do what we do. So that you come out of this ready to go, which will intensify what you do on your particular instrument. I'm not telling you to be, uh, you know, a Glenn Gould over here on piano, but you need to know how to do first and second uh, inversions. You need to be able to read a chord chart. You need to be able to know your way around a piano. Betty Ann Diaz, I love this woman. She taught us, man, woo, Dr. Diaz. My warm up every morning is what she taught us. It says, Courtney, and she had this wonderful voice, Courtney, you all right, but your piano technique is trash. <laughs> Pick that hand up right here, right here. You do it, bring it up. You see, ah, see how easy, all right, now stop it. Now go back to it. I love that. You gotta be in our field. So that's how we started with the Gateways Brass Collective. 
And we had our Carnegie Hall debut uh, last year. We did the Met um, uh, Museum of Natural Art in the Cooper Union in New York City. And the same thing with the Gateways Music Festival. We had a sold out show at Carnegie. And I think that's like 3,000. I don't know how many people were in that Carnegie Hall. But yeah, it was beautiful. And then, and then also to does something to the psyche when you play music and you look to your left and you look to your right in front of you, behind you, and you can identify with the people. Mm-hmm. You can identify not just within the color of their skin, but the struggles in the screen and what you asked earlier about coming to the table. You create these opportunities. And Lee Koontz, their artistic director, that's a bad brother. That man is smooth. I want to be on that level of smooth. <laughs> he's a clarinet player. I ain't gonna hold that against him. But he's smooth. You dig what I'm saying? And he created this vision. And um, Armina, who created that orchestra, right? So she created that when she was finishing her doctorate at Eastman School of Music, which beget energy, which beget energy, which beget energy. So you see where I'm going. Everything is full circle, right? And this is why Gateways was created to showcase that no, you you know classical music is not always this wasp this wasp ideology, white Anglo-Saxon person of color, mm. right? It is BIPOC. It is international, right? Who do you think was playing on the ships when they came over here, and what way they were playing? Come on now, you dig what I'm saying? It's called history. This is why we have historical classes, right? So we learn what not to repeat. You dig? So this is how Gateways came about. I don't know about my co-host. This is just, and I said this probably a couple of episodes ago, and it's just like, it's great to like, all the guests we bring on is just fabulous because we get to learn other perspectives. We get to, learn new ideologies for us to then take out to the week. And my favorite thing is you do this on Sunday, because that's what we do on Sundays. And all through throughout the week, I'm like, oh God, I have students in front of me. This is great. Let's talk about stuff. Let's bring up new ideas. Let's bring up different things, especially with school starting up. But this has been absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much, Dr. Courtney Jones, for joining us on this Sunday and uh, just giving us all this information. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see y'all next week. Um, check us out. We'll show Dr. Jones information, Instagram, all this other stuff. You know, when the episodes are released, check him out. He has joined our village and we always support everybody in our village. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones. And we will see y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.